0: The SF Music Tech Summit, recorded live by
1: Media One Audio Visual. To learn more about us, visit us online at MediaOneAudio.com. My name is Mike McGuire. I'm a research vice president at a company called Gartner. I kind of work my research at the intersection between technology shifts and consumer shifts, and so spend a lot of my time with uh, various constituencies measuring what's happening with online music and the music industry at large. But today's panel is going to be very interesting because we're going to talk about the thing that uh, those things, frankly, are the reflection, the measurements, we hope objective and clear, of success success of music, whether it's an artist, a band, a genre, etc. And we're going to talk about the future of charts, and I can't think of three better people to have that discussion than the panelists today. We have Kyle Bylan at the end from Billboard. Uh, Next to him is Richard Sussman from Nielsen and Alex White from The Next Big Sound. I got it right, right? Um, So as we know, I mean, we've all, those of us that have been been around, we know that the billboard and those sorts of charts that measure sales, that's how we've defined success in the music industry. And it was great and easy when it was physical objects that got shipped around, purchased. Um, But now as we move online and increasingly with the influence of social media and social networks, things are changing. What is success now these days in terms of how we measure that? Uh, our likes, our dislikes, our tastes are now utterly transparent if we're posting and sharing on Facebook and other social networking and, so, and using social media tools. Um, I'm not going to read their bios, what I'm going to ask each of the folks to do is uh, introduce themselves, what they do at their company, why they're here. And uh, we all voted, um, mostly uh, these guys, uh, that they wanted to tackle the tough question first, which is what is the future of charts? They're going to give a couple-minute response each, and then uh, we'll go through some questions, and we'll very quickly hopefully get to the QA so you can start asking some questions. <coughs> so, uh, Kyle, why don't we start with you? Introduce yourself for a few minutes
0: and tell us uh, what is the future of charts. <laughs> so I'm Kyle Boleyn. I'm the Social Streaming Chart Manager at Billboard Magazine. I oversee the Social 50 and Uncharted, two of our new new media charts. The Social 50 is the top 50... Artists across Facebook, MySpace, Twitter, as well as YouTube and Vivo. Fans, friends, followers, plays, views. And Uncharted is our emerging artists chart that tracks the top 50 acts across the internet who have not charted previously within the Billboard brand, but that are still catalyzing a lot of activity online. Um, As for what the future of charts is. I think in the next two to three years, we're looking at, obviously, subscription music and any various streaming online services from web radio to on-demand video as being a very important metric in measuring what success is online and increasingly looking at services like uh, Shazam or SoundHound and tags and stuff like that and just expanding into the broader scope of blogs and online media and how you can measure mentions and viral activity. And in the wider scope, once charts move from a weekly platform to a daily update and perhaps move to real-time, what we're looking at is a future of real-time visualized data-driven storytelling, where in real-time you'll be able to analyze the impact of artist events on chart placements based on bumps and valleys in data. Something Alex is very familiar with, with his products. And we'll start kind of deconstructing, like what does it mean when an artist releases a music video? On that day, how many views per hour even did that person get? What media placements had the most impact on its success? And how did that correlate with their sales that day, their Facebook likes, their streams? Their Shazam tags everything, and start looking at a broader scope of what this all means, and start looking for unconventional insights within the data.
1: Well done, Kyle. Richard, Um, excuse
0: me. Richard Sussman from Nielsen. Um,
2: I head up the digital media entertainment practice uh, within uh, Nielsen Online, which encompasses um, uh, social media, mobile, (laughs) and online tracking. uh, Everything from Uh, sentiment uh, analysis, you know, who's saying what out there, uh, clickstream data, video data, uh, audio data in terms of consumption behavior, naturally demographic data, and that also is appended to the uh, extended uh, devices in the mobile sphere. Um, I'm here because um, I provide the digital perspective. I'm not from SoundScan. I know you guys are all used to SoundScan, but um, I guess the... um, uh, this event thought it would be interesting to have a different spin from a Nielsen perspective than a traditional sound scan uh, tracking. Um, the world that I sit, like with these guys, you know we sit on top of, um, I say, uh, an abundance of data, too much data sometimes, and it's based upon um, uh, metadata. The, what we know about consumers today in the discovery and consumption process is quite amazing. Um, we could understand and project out. Uh, success of any given piece of content uh, based upon the discovery and consumption process of that content, uh, whether it's because they tagged or whether it's because they uh, were informed through viral uh, means, social networking, emails, what have you, of a piece of content. We're finding that the, the ecosystem from discovery to consumption to purchase is the window is shortened today. And uh, the message is uh, getting louder and louder in terms of what one can say about a given artist, a given brand, what have you. I Well we, from Nielsen's perspective, we look at um, charts in two buckets to really break it out simply. One, you have more of like an anecdotal. Uh, bucket where you have blogs and forums and whatnot, and you have the top 10 lists and my most favorite this or my most favorite that. That's going to grow. Uh, with the metadata that I mentioned, that's just going to grow exponentially because you could really track more and more information about consumers and, and um, uh, their likes, dislikes, how they actually track, like the top 10 uh, most twitted uh, album of the week. I mean, it's endless what you could really track from an anecdotal bucket perspective. The other bucket, I think, is um, something that will always be there, and that is the, um, the rank charts, the, the official rank charts. And these are based upon rather than anecdotal uh, social media sentiment. It's um, more of an algorithmic. Intricate algorithms are put in place to really determine um, exposure and sales. And those are going to become more and more critical. You know, It's the net effect. What did, how many did we sell? You know, how many downloads or how many albums, how many whatever it is, how many did we sell? So the net effects of that, the so sales charts, I think, will always be critical and maybe even more so as people like ourselves in this room, we're going to be inundated with more and more <coughs> data. So we just need to know that net effect even more so. So I don't see charts in terms of the algorithmic uh, bucket becoming less important. I think they're going to become even more important. That's my future
1: perspective. Thank you, Richard. Sure. Alex, your turn.
3: Mic check. Um, My name is Alex White. I run a music company called Next Big Sound. We track how millions of consumers engage with music um, and sell a centralized dashboard back to the music industry that they can use to make decisions that drive their business. Uh, We supply the data to Billboard for the Social 50 chart and are part of it for Uncharted. We also have our own chart called the Next Big Sound 25 that plots the uh, fastest up-and-coming artists um, across the web that we measure. And in terms of the future of charts, uh, kind of taking a step back from macro perspective, we're moving from this industrial economy where the scarcity is in retail space and um, shelf shelf space and distribution, um, towards this information economy, and where the scarcity isn't in shelf space anymore; it's in attention. And so, I think the future of charts is around capturing that attention, whether it's on a stream on YouTube or Vivo or on a s- subscription service. Um, and I think downloads and, and purchase uh, decisions will factor in heavily, um, but that the key in the future of charts is the transparency of where the data is coming from um, and how it's collected and, and aggregated together.
1: Great. Well, I had a, we're going to have a conversation here. We'll open up up to you guys, to the audience, very quickly. I guess one of the... Kind of first questions I had is as, as an old guy um, who remembers reading, getting the magazine, and paying a subscription for Billboard, and or stealing it from somebody I knew. Um, as we look at these social tools, we're seeing a lot of energy, a lot of traffic. You guys are tracking on that. Is and it, it perhaps is an unfair question, but are we seeing some metrics to establish early on now on what those kind of the value is, the business value? if you will of a like or a share or something like that is there and do you think there's ever a way to really measure that to where we're you know are we if we're measuring popularity as stated across these social networks right are we measuring just sheer popularity i've heard of it i've heard it but i haven't acquired it somehow or added it to my collection so i guess are we seeing some of the baseline for for making actual business decisions off of of this this social network and social media traffic. Alex, why don't you
3: go first? So right now, you know, two years ago when we started collecting data, there was no such thing as a Facebook page like or a fan page. The list of bands on Twitter was about 100 bands long. Um, it was really mostly YouTube and MySpace was kind of the king um, in the music world. And that's all changed, obviously, dramatically over the last two years, and is continuing to accelerate and change. So I don't think there has been a definitive, this is the value of a page like for this band, but what we're working towards, and I think a lot of folks in the industry are, is for this type of band at this stage in their career, um, trying to get a sense of what what that is worth. Um, and I don't think that the um, that the definitive answer has been there, but that's a part of why over the next couple of years understanding exactly uh, what those metrics are. And when we look at comparing, you know, the social 50 chart, we've done this analysis, the social 50 chart versus the billboard kind of top 200 traditional sales chart versus say the ultimate chart um, from big champagne. We see about a 50% overlap across all of them. So they are fairly similar. And the ones that stand out that are different are ones, you know, on at least between the social 50 and the billboard traditional albums are uh, these massive YouTube stars um, so an act like Cody Simpson that's having crazy amounts of uh, YouTube traffic, which either he hasn't been signed or he has been signed and the album hasn't come out. And then very quickly, once the album comes out, he does chart on the traditional um, chart.
1: So it's a matter where actually the the, the, the throw <laughs> is getting shorter between awareness and tool. And you're actually able to measure that, that throw. It, well, by that, I mean... You put the video posts on YouTube and you can start to track and get some feel for how, how quickly that's going to hit when it hits the real charts when the album's released. Yep. Kyle, Richard, I was curious if you wanted to each wanted to address that, that issue of you know, how do we start to value these things in terms of, of business value. And I guess I'd add on for you and Richard is, um, is it ever going to be a single kind of synthesized rating or are we going to always be looking at perhaps depending on the artist stage of their career, et cetera, it's gonna be a blend of of different types of ways to measure their success.
0: So for the second question, I believe you're asking, will we ever have a kind of definitive metric to say, this band (laughs) is a 42 and this band is perhaps a 56 in our music buzz rating, and that corresponds with a certain level of success of some kind, I'm gonna ultimately say no. I don't think we're going to get to an age where we can attach that kind of numbers based on data at what stage an artist is in their career, because many artists are doing more with less, and judging them solely based on social metrics and sales would not fully give you the picture of what's happening within their fan base and the kind of consumption activity, the purchasing behavior they're seeing.
3: What if engagement was part of that number?
0: Good call. Engagement could be a part of it. I'm just saying, like, as a broader context of actually attaching a number and saying that this means something, I think we're a long ways from you know, the clout of the music industry in a sense. Like, I I think engagement can be used as a metric to help someone determine based on fans to views and plays ratios that this band is actually doing as good as this more popular band but that less people are simply viewing more music, but trying to attach a certain value to say, when a band gets to 70, we should sign them, gets really kind of tricky when you start, you know, kind of the SATs of the music industry. Do you pass? Um, As far as the business value of a Facebook like, I think we're still wondering what exactly that means. We're still trying to find the relationship between catalyzing social activity online and how that corresponds with sales data and how that sales data corresponds with subscription streaming and how that corresponds with how many people tagged that song on Shazam that day like we're still trying to figure out what all that means and I have a weekly column where I write about the Social 50 and Uncharted and it's a really interesting thing to say well all right. Lady Gaga or any other of the 50 artists released a video this week. I should go back. So as Alex said earlier, a lot, there's a lot of YouTube stars who are gaining a very profound um, foothold in our social charts due to the massive audience that we're seeing them grow. And because those artists have so much more to gain in terms of their fan base than a Lady Gaga or a Little Wayne, they're able to accelerate up to our charts because fans is one of the most powerful metrics. And it's interesting to see on week-to-week gains how sustainable some of those acts are in comparison to the larger ones and start you know looking at, okay, this video's been out for seven days, it has 1.2 million views on a cover, they're getting this many thousand fans on Facebook, and start looking at the relationship to those numbers, but ultimately when you get to a deeper level you're kind of asking, you know, why are things popular? Why are kids consuming this music video over another one? And it gets tricky to try to explain that complexity.
2: Um, <clears throat> I'll try to add some more color to this, maybe from a different perspective. If we look at artists um, as brands, and you look at the, what they're advertising as products, um, bottom line in, in the digital age, it's about the net effect. You know, with all the social media, all these people talking, all the click streams, all, you know, data that we have, how many times that video was played, how many times it was downloaded, whatever it may be, what is the net effect of that? If you look at it as a campaign, how many albums were sold? How many digital songs were downloaded? And that's the net effect. So how do you track all that from... Uh, the social media aspect, you know, the, the, the hype around a certain album or, again, brand, to the net effect of actually, did somebody consume it, did they actually purchase it? That's the world that I live in, and it's an interesting world because we could track the whole ecosystem of social media today and also track the demos, who's actually listening and who's watching, who's downloading, who's going where, how did they discover that, that song, But ultimately, how are they impacting others to buy? That's the biggest question. And right now, to answer your question about likes, to really be specific here with Facebook, what is a like? So if you have 10,000 likes, that's great. We all know that. But how do you quantify that? What does that actually equate to? Put actual dollars to that, potentially. And that's very difficult. You have about three or four really hot up and coming startups right now. One's called Graph Effect, you guys may have heard of it, where they track and try to make sense out of a like. And almost like a cost per like. You know, you can actually market. How do I get my likes up for my brand or my art, whatever it may be. And these are new currencies. So being in the currency business of whether it's, you know, ComScore or Net, you know, um, Nielsen or whoever it may be that says these are my numbers, You need to validate those numbers as the first step. Second step is how do you quantify those numbers and make them actionable? So we're seeing with all these comments today, we're seeing more with uh, data, with the metadata, and how to track all this. The hardest part right now is how do you quantify that and bring it all together to make one big marketing play? And if it's a like that you're focusing on, I want to get as many likes as possible. There's systems out there today that will show you how many likes you have and how that potentially may have lifted your brand, but then it stops there. And where I think the future is going to be is answering, and maybe tomorrow, maybe a year from now, I don't know when, but it's answering, okay, so now we know we've got 10,000 likes, but how does that equate to actual increase in sales? How do you make that connection? How do you correlate the two? And being in the data business, that's the hardest thing to do right now because there's all these. You know, there's a lot of noise out there. And... Um, there isn't really a straight answer, you know. People want to make like a currency, but is that the right thing to do? And if it is, how do you quantify that? And that's a big question. That's a big takeaway.
1: But so.
3: Can we unpack the clout uh, comparison a little bit on the score side? How many people in here know what clout is? And how many how many people know what their clout score is? So much fewer. And but this is the thing with kind of one definitive score. You mentioned ComScore and Nielsen, of course, is. Uh, you know, we share an investor with Clout, and so it's a very interesting kind of model and think there's a lot of validity because people are kind of hungry for <laughs> some way to make sense out of all of this. I don't think Clout, you know, I think it's silly personally and that they've launched kind of too soon. I've studied very closely kind of Comscore, um, and they've become kind of the standard, one of the standards in web measurement, and that didn't happen until the uh, 2001 when they bought Media Metrics in the kind of, After the dot com burst, and they had 80 plus percent market share. So, if you do it too soon and come out and declare, here's the score, um, and you don't have the kind of market share or that awareness, it it just becomes kind of silly in a game. But if you do have the either reach, data, trust of um, an industry or a small subset of that, then I think it does become interesting. And I think people are, you know, they want likes because they think. That it translates to something they don't. The Facebook like isn't what they want. They want, you know, success for their artist and awareness and engagement. Um, and I think that that's one piece. And there is the technology is just at that stage now where you can kind of predict where someone's Twitter follower account will be in the next week or two weeks or even you know day ahead. Um, but it's about tying it all together and where does that ultimately get you, and how does that um, kind of trajectory play out over? you know, an artist's career, or at least this, this, a cycle. Interesting.
1: I, I was curious if you guys are noticing as you're starting to measure and manage these new inputs, these new kind of streams of information and data, are you seeing any sp- trends? I was just curious between, you know, is the, the things that are getting the most social traffic, if you will, or currency, are they, is this new material? Is this artists that have just come to the fore in the last two to three years? Are you seeing shifts in catalog, older material? that's being transacted or discussed in the in the social media. I'm just curious if you're sensing any kind of trends like that. The
3: catalog stuff is really uh, difficult, as well as um, artists whose demographic are in the older... um I'm yeah, like my age, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I'm good with that. Um, but for the new artists, you see lots of different... What's interesting is seeing the data sources kind of all together. So which is a leading indicator for what? And in certain genres, say you know, kind of novelty hip-hop songs. It'll, you'll see a spike in YouTube and then spike in uh, radio and then spike in Facebook, Twitter, those sort of things. But then, you know, the situation can be completely reversed where it's a spike in radio followed by a spike in all those metrics. So it's it's really tough. you got to segment it. Uh, you need, you know, kind of the full competitive data set of every artist and saying, for artists like this, what is the pattern that is typically uh seen on a first an indie rock artist signed to a major label or some kind of segmentation where you slice the giant uh you know field of artists down to a manageable kind of set of comparable artists
1: okay. Kyle, any insight into that any trends or distinctions you're seeing between types of not maybe genres but again is it say newer artists versus catalog
0: um The biggest trend in my world currently is that we're seeing a lot of people get on our charts through YouTube and through YouTube covers. Um, A lot of the people that are on Social 50 right now are cover bands who put videos out every single week on YouTube and gain millions of views each week through putting out a constant stream of content that is popular and then spinning and weaving through their own original content to promote that at the same time. Uh, that kind of week to week sustainability through those more socially inclined artists is a lot of what we 've been seeing become popular on our charts and being able to hold in place uh, you also see that when those artists don 't put out something for a week or two they also drop off the charts instantly because that pull needs to be maintained over time and I think that's ultimately what everybody's learning is that your content release cycle needs to be a pretty consistent stream to keep your week-to-week views, fans, friends, followers, plays up and complete, c- continue to engage your audience.
1: Do you guys think that... That's interesting you describe that because that sounds... If I'm in a band or band management, that sounds really wearying, right? <laughs> um, do you sense that you're getting seeing we're going to be have the kind of data that maybe the notion of a single release of a collection of songs that we used to call an album, right? Where it just becomes less of this concerted effort to hit a specific time with that collection of songs we used to call an album, and just to kind of like kind of scenario you're painting, where it's like okay, it's Monday, new song, you know, Wednesday, new song.
0: I think uh, I think Ian Rogers at Topspin got it right when he said you need to do something small weekly, something big monthly. And once a year, something big. And that kind of consistent content rollout of some kind of engaging your fans with various streams of content, video, blog posts, anything. And just keeping it coming out. If you're just going to put out uh, one album a year or one every two years and disappear while you're creating that album, I would say you're drastically damaging your potential to grow your online fan base by disappearing if you're not engaging
3: with them. Well, it's an attention economy, right? So it's about staying top of mind amongst as many people as you possibly can. And, you know, on the charts thing was just thinking about um, it it really does depend what you're after, where it's, you know, the revenue – what if there's just a revenue chart and that's, you know, the only goal – is to make as much money as possible, and then there's the attention chart where it's to be top of mind to as many people. You just want your music to be heard by as many people as possible, and that's a different chart. Maybe there is some aggregate form of the two of them, or one score that represents both, you know, a sustainable career and um, kind of widespread adoption or or fandom.
1: But I'm just going to say yes. I want all of those things, um, and so I'm curious. You know, I want to be making money. I want to have you know a high attention you know, rating by my audience or the audience of the web. Um, if I were to add you know, Richard, I'm curious, as somebody who's been in the digital space and watched this for a while, you, know, you can't expect you to give advice to everybody here in the audience, but if I'm, say, in management or an artist and we're running our band ourselves, besides the obvious ones of how many CDs am I selling at the show <clears throat> and how many, you know, downloads am I getting on iTunes, What's the way to kind of approach viewing these data? Because as you guys have mentioned, this, we're early on in a lot of this, the influence right. of social. How would, what would be the kind of like top three hints you would have? Well, the, the big question
2: is what data? You know, everybody okay. subscribes to different things. You mentioned there's Nielsen. There's so many. That's the problem. There's so much data out there. You know, what do you focus on? We spoke about likes before. Do you focus on likes? How many Twitter followers do you have? Where do you focus and how do you make sense out of all of this? Um, If you take a step back and stop focusing on different potential currencies, to mirror what you were saying, um, it's about that constant engagement. It's about exposure. And if you have constant exposure to your fan base, you're building the brand. You have to look at your, your music, your product as a brand. And I hate to say it, you know, take the artist hat off for a second and put your marketing hat on because these charts are marketing tools. Okay? Every time you go out there and your artist speaks or somebody speaks on behalf of your artist to a constituent out there, you're marketing and you're being engaging. And the more engaging you are, ultimately it's going to have a net effect and you'll see if it's working or not in the number of sales, number of you know, ticket sales, number of album downloads, whatever it may be. There's going to be a net effect and it's very easy to tell. You could use any of our services. I'll just talk about Nils for a second here. You could track the social media consumption. You could track how many people are talking about you. What are they saying? Who's saying what? Where are they saying? How are they saying that? How is that ultimately impacting the brand once again? You could see a causality of that, whether or not it's leading people to go to certain websites or not, download certain music or not. So that whole ecosystem, that's a couple examples, that whole ecosystem of whether or not people are following a flow, and ultimately buying or referring your brand could be tracked today. At the very least, you guys should be doing that. Um, Social media is, you know, people go out there and they hire a social media expert. And I find that to be akin to um, a baker hiring somebody who knows just how to roll the bread. That's about it. It's part of this whole marketing play. Social media is not just about somebody understands how to tweet. Somebody sits there all day long tweeting, <clears throat> excuse me, or on Facebook. It's part of the marketing play. It's part of PR. It's part of everything. It's part of maintaining constant exposure. And in unison it works well. And it's being able to find that perfect balance for your brand that works. Procter & Gamble works differently than Universal Music Group. Certain products and services. But making sure you guys are tapped into digital. I don't know, is it echo here? Is there an echo? No. Oh, I'm sort of hearing an echo. Um, making sure you guys tap into um, social media to understand what your consumers are thinking is most critical. You have to be listening. And that's where it comes into the original comment I made about two buckets. You have two buckets of charts. You have the anecdotal charts. You guys should be tracking all that. And if it looks good, use it for marketing purposes. And obviously, the rank charts. That's the net effect. So there's a lot of noise out there. So try to make it very simple, and that probably makes it very simple for you, hopefully.
1: Mm-hmm. Kyle, do you have any insight on, like, if you were looking at the, the trends that you're tracking on your your charts? What If there were two or three things that for the next, let's say, year or so, that, you know, a band or management should be tracking in that, or the dy- kind of dynamics they might be looking for, is there anything that comes to mind right now that you're thinking of? In terms of, because I'm thinking of your particular in the the piece. Actually, he's got a has got a very interesting piece on capture culture that that's posted today. today. No. Should all check it out. And I, in that regard, I mean, is there, as the things you're looking at and the the kind of phenomena you describe in the piece, right? Whether it's you know photo recognition of an album cover or hearing something and being able to pull that out with Shazam or Soundtown, can you think of a couple or three things that you know? For the next short term, those are metrics that really should be, you should watch, either take action on immediately or just kind of see how they go. I'm just trying to understand what, what we can get out of this, this capture culture piece, because I thought it was fascinating. And I'm not doing it a good service and description, but...
0: Um, I'll, I'll try to rewind a bit. So today I published a piece on billboard.biz called The Rise of Capture Culture, How Apps Are Revolutionizing Music Collecting. And what it talks about is, as we shift from an ownership culture to an access one, we're using subscription music services like Mog, Slacker, RDO, Rhapsody, to access and Spotify to access our music rather than own it. There's also this really other subtle shift happening where we're moving from collecting music to capturing it. Um, SoundHound and Shazam, which are two leading music ID apps for your smartphone, recently partnered with Spotify. And what that allows you to do is, when you tag a song that's playing on the radio and it identifies what song is playing, it now allows you to play that song in Spotify and add it to your cloud collection. And to me, that represented a very profound shift in the way we think of music collecting, because you're not going to a record store obtaining a few albums and then taking them home and planking them as a part of your collection essentially what you're doing is pulling music from your environment and adding it to your collection in the cloud instantly and it almost shifts music from a collection standpoint to more like social bookmarking in the early days of the internet and so too with the rise of geosocial music services that allow you to tag music to locations, it ultimately turns the entire world into a music library open to be discovered and siphed through through your smartphone. And I think in the next five years, that's going to be a very major shift in consumption as subscription services catch on and allow you to instantly capture that music, whether it's from a website, from the radio... Or Mog, for instance, has this service called Moggles. You can go to your friend's house and look at all of his albums, and you take a picture of the cover, and it instantly adds it to your Mog collection and allows you to play it on the spot. And that kind of behavior is going to radically shift how we think of music collecting and consumption and how we understand how people consume music. Um, And...
1: Is there a thread or a couple threads that in social, coming out of this emerging capture culture, are there some things that I should be watching if I'm band manager in the band itself to be tracking as far as kind of um, early warnings about how this this area is going to shift or not?
0: Uh, I don't think we currently have those kind of early warnings because I don't think Shazam or Soundhound offer artists dashboards into where their music is being tagged and who's tagging it currently, right? No, the they don't. But they do have charts. They, they do have charts, but they don't currently offer any kind of data. There's no way to find out who is moggling your album. <laughs> but going forward, it's going to be a very important thing to know. Alex, do you want to tackle the question on what to be looking for?
3: I mean, there's, there are all these... Diff- every application has its own set of charts that are associated with the usage. So if you're... Um, Last FM is a great tool, and they have you know most hearted or most loved. And hype machine has its own set of charts and all these charts. But I think the from an industry perspective, in the same way that um, music consumers are kind of hungry for what is everybody else listening to, what are my friends listening to, what's the most popular in the U.S., I think the industry is hungry for a canonical set of charts that they can all kind of rely on and use as common thread amongst them about you know there it used to be a very clear progression of you know with all the certified gold platinum albums and the billboard charts, a very clear kind of progression. everyone knew what that meant um, it's it 's less and less clear as you throw more data points on top of everything uh, what those data sets mean and I think it will take a a while for everything to kind of stabilize in terms of uh, common Thread amongst the music industry, but I think that that 's where industries have headed always in the past is towards some sort of uh, coalescence around a um, common set of language and jargon and terms, and same around kind of charts and what success and, and popularity means so i mean there 's tons of you know if really tactically there 's lots of obviously photo sharing apps and geotagging apps sound tracking we were talking about earlier. Um, and the song identification but uh, you know you should try and be constantly aware of lots of different tools but typically there's only a roster of four or five that actually move the needle or, or are effective for you
1: mm-hmm. Great, Richard. It,
3: it's, it's been an
2: interesting evolution you know with Spotify and RDIO for example um, just last night <clears throat> a buddy of mine in New York sent me um, three playlists from somebody in Europe you know RDIO and I found that to be fascinating so I was able to get three different playlists and discover all this music or rediscover music. And it was so seamless. and It was so easy. And we're seeing this evolution. Um, I, being a music lover myself, I, I, I love it. I mean, I'm learning more about music today than I've ever in my entire life through memes like this. Now, this wasn't around, you know, probably, I'd say, less than six months ago. And it, that's evolving. Is there going to be a chart from that the most referred playlist through RDIO or then Pandora, whatever, you know, it's going to evolve, right? Different companies. So I think charts, it's, you're going to see an evolution of charts, but then you're going to have the basic charts as well, as I mentioned before.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: There on? are the audio playlist charts. Uh, you can chart them. And then, uh, but adding the social element on top of things is... Maybe it's not which ones are played most often, but which have the most subscribers to those mm-hmm. charts, so then it's that additional layer on top of things. And everything we say right now is probably going to get upended or changed based on Facebook's announcement uh, next week at F8, where the rumors are that there, you'll be able to, if you're a subscriber to RDO and I'm a su- subscriber to Mog or Spotify, we can still send music back and forth to one another because that's a huge problem is you know I started using... RDO then I switched to Spotify and now I'm back to RDO but people still I'm, my first name starts with an A so I'm like high up in people's um, friends list down the side and they're like update your playlist man you suck I thought you were all about music um, and so now I have to like go back and update those playlists that I'd already built on uh, RDO back on so there's a weird social element to it. I sense
1: a, a new marketing this. tactic here yeah. peer pressure and abuse definitely. Right. <laughs> nice um Okay, well, I, you know, that, which you're kind of, we're all kind of skirting around. It's interesting. Do you see, as we've seen in other kind of the media areas that I look at, you know, in publishing, with the advent of the iBookstore and then the in-app payment subscription model <laughs> challenges, um, you know, a lot of the magazine publishers and newspaper publishers were very upset because it wasn't just the 30% Apple wanted at that time. It was also the lack of sharing of the data. Do we sense, without getting into your specific policies, do we sense there's going to have to be there's going to be some shakeout in terms of how this data is kind of collected and who owns it? And I I don't think for don't want to get into any proprietary things, but we've seen these issues in other parts of the media sector. I'm curious to this what you're thinking, Alex, in terms of what this announcement might be. Facebook's one of those folks that have generally been pretty tight-lipped or rather controlling about that
3: data. The fortunate thing for music. Um, Industries that you know going back to the first m p three players online, there was always play counts and view counts and and all this data was kind of surfaced publicly as part of um, just part of the service that was a kind of natural thing when you look at you know ebooks or Kindle's download you know kindle books downloaded there 's no number there 's the amazon sales rank, but there 's no actual consumption numbers and it 's not like youtube where there 's Video counts and Twitter follower counts and Facebook counts, and so privacy is a, a huge part of it. On the kind of individual fan basis, this person is this person on all these different networks, and I know there's a lot of efforts around trying to understand that because it's very powerful. Um, but on a macro scale, I think um, it's interesting just watching uh, all these different services emerge, and it'll—they all have data. You know, Facebook's the only one with all the Facebook data, and Spotify is the only one with all the Spotify data, but the industry itself is hungry for uh, the understanding of how they, all those services relate to one another and what did that spike in YouTube videos translate to digital single sales or email counts um, and an understanding of everything
1: together. Right, because a lot of what you guys are going to be collecting is there's the data that the rights holders get from, say, an iTunes or one of the s- subscription services – Increasingly, like, much like advertisers, right? They pay for Nielsen, but they also ex- expect and use other data sources to kind of triangulate.
2: Exactly. You're going to see um, more and more partnerships on the data side. Uh, you're going to merge data sets. Um, it's about understanding not only, you mentioned geotargeting, it's not only about what the consumer likes, literally what their psychographic preferences are, how did they discover, how did they consume, what did they refer? We mentioned social media. But how do you duplicate that over and over and over again? How do you get that marketing play, playbook, um, that enables you to understand the segmentation of a definitive audience? And by understanding that, I mean, look at Pandora, 95 million people, you know how much information they have on consumers? Look at Facebook, just here in the States, 150 million people. You start merging some data sets, you could actually answer some very, very deep questions that aren't attainable today without necessarily having those partnerships in place. There's one big issue. It's the privacy issue. How do you get around that? And that's really what we're going to see in evolution in trying to understand, you know, what is private, what's not, who owns
1: what. Excellent. Um, Well, we've got about 15 minutes left. Uh, We do have a microphone. Sean is around with a microphone or somebody is. If you have a question, raise your hand, and he'll come over and just ask that you project so that we can record that question. Uh, Aaron Master from
2: SoundHound thanks all four of you for the shoutouts um, uh, my question is about uh, the, just the relevance of charts in the next couple of years I, I think there's, um, it's clear the value of the charts to industry but um, is the, I've also noticed something of a backlash among fans actually against charts people sort of um, looking more to things like Pandora things like iTunes Genius for their sort of individual customized recommendations do you guys feel that backlash do you think charts are going to become more or less
1: important to fans over the next couple of years you first, Alex.
3: Um, so I have to apply it to a different kind of entertainment sector like films or something where I'm not so deeply involved. But, So movies, for instance, uh, I, I'll go to you know, two film movies a year or three, and when I go to the movies, I want to know what like, everyone's watching, and I just look at those box office, and I need some kind of chart or Rotten Tomatoes ranking or whatever it is to see like what should I be watching. And like I think the real music fans um, who are constantly searching for new music and exploring the vast catalogs that are now available on the subscription side um, don't need the charts and maybe haven't used the charts in a, in a while. But I do think that for the majority of the population who isn't constantly in that music consumption and searching mode, they do want to know who's popular right now. When I go out at night, what songs am I going to hear? Um, what songs did I hear? Uh, what's everyone else listening to and kind of wanting to be spoon, spoon fed? Um, what they should be listening to? Richard?
2: Yeah, I mean, you, you're, you're asking the, the big question um, how important are charts? I'm going to throw it back at you. What charts? You know, you have so many charts out there. You talk, And again, I'm going back to my two buckets anecdotal charts. You know, what are my best friends like from Spotify? or random people around the world? What do they like? Is that helping me discover more music? Or do I care about the sales or the success of a certain artist that I'm a fan of? Both are important for different reasons. Ultimately, the main catalyst for the industry are sales charts, because that shows exposure and it shows sales, success. And those will be here. Those will always be important for the fan, I think, personally, from a fan standpoint, the anecdotal is going to be more interesting because you're going to have all these quasi charts, not really uh, based upon really smart algorithms. It's more, you know, anecdotal in the way they accumulate the data. But it's interesting. So um, I would say they're both important for two different reasons.
1: Kyle, your turn.
0: I think at the end of the day, charts help make charts help many people make decisions whether it's a radio programmer helping trying to decide what to play, whether it's a consumer visiting the billboard charts trying to understand what they should listen to next, or just an artist manager trying to figure out what the market looks like at that moment. And they're trying to make decisions about what to play, what to listen to, what they might want to discover next. And as we continue to spearhead new media initiatives into the chart space and design consumer-facing experiences around that music data and represent it in ways that Make it a meaningful thing to go discover music at, the function of a chart evolves over time. Um, currently, the charts are evolving in their interactivity. I think that'll continue to evolve over time where the charts themselves can be organized into a discovery experience where this playlist, based on your taste, based on something else, can be represented in some way where that chart is a playable list. Specific to your taste, then can turn into a channel of some kind—a
3: personalized, playable chart. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's just a matter of building it. And currently, MTV has a great product called Music Meter. It's—they did a good job on it. Um, there's certain things you know I would consider doing differently, but. I think as a music discovery platform that plays music and helps fans interact and learn about music, they did a good job. And moving forward, you're going to see more and more charts that aren't solely just um, categorically these are the top 50 social artists, but more on a discovery basis of songs that are kind of more so on the underground that you might want to check out and discover.
1: Next question. Dan Ruby
0: from festivalpreview.com, so we haven't heard a
1: whole lot of discussion today yet about live music um, and charts for live music and so forth. I know that Billboard has its box score, uh, but that seems to be limited to you know the biggest grossing uh, tours and, and acts. So I'm, I'm just curious, uh, you know, specific uh, well, live music in general and festivals in particular. How uh, we, what kind of metrics might be available for those? What kind of future charts uh, might be forthcoming, and then how might that factor into these sort of social um, uh, platforms that are being
3: described? For um, South by Southwest, with 2,000 artists playing over a four-day period, um, I think how we actually started the Billboard relationship was they saw our chart where we all the artists that played that festival, and we saw looked at who was the fastest rising amongst all those artists on the social networks, um, and that was our way of trying to fig- trying to make sense of all the bands playing and just kind of a ranking for ourselves of who should we see that day. Um, and the idea was that if the artists were really buzzing, that the friends who were at the festival um, would be telling all their friends, even not at the festival and beyond, what, you know, about these new artists and that they should check them out. And those, you know, kind of numbers and scores would rise across the board. And, and that was how we did the ranking. So there is ways to... And I think other companies have done filtered lists of festival acts that have played. Um, but it'd be interesting to incorporate tours, you know, tickets sold and a bunch of other metrics. But again, it's around collecting that data in one place and being that source. Next question.
1: Uh, hey, guys. <clears throat> Hello. There is. Hey, I'm um,
2: Wade Kaywood from Pulse Radio. Um, our business model is focused on... The assumption that electronic music is the pop music of the next generation. Um, There's things to support that, like um, you got a DJ on the cover of your magazine this this month. Um, Puff Daddy is releasing an electronic album next month. (coughs) There's more festivals, more electronic festivals than ever before in the U.S. at the moment. And I just wondered, as far as the data goes, the data that you guys are collecting, um, are you seeing that trend as well, or is it just outside of the U.S. that you're seeing that?
0: Um, on Uncharted, which is our emerging artist chart, that tops the that tracks, the top fifty artists in the world whom have not charted previously within like the Billboard 200. Uh, SoundCloud, which does focus more predominantly on DJs and electronic music and dubstep and chillwave and all those things, uh, they're seeing lots and lots of action on our charts. And you know, number one artist on Uncharted right now shifts between DJ Bland. Um, Traffic traffic is a rapper but there's tons of new artists every week who are charting on Uncharted and emerging into the larger billboard ecosystem through sales or downloads or whatever who are very electronic based. I don't know definitively the larger trend if that's going to be the popular music for the next generation but we're certainly seeing a lot of activity in that sector and SoundCloud is becoming more and more important every day.
2: We're seeing an increase in in digital sales uh, for this type of music as well, this genre. Um, um, You know, ticket sales as well. You mentioned all these different events happening. Uh, A lot of younger demographic um, uh, music goers love these festivals. Um, The problem is the, um, the negative publicity, the social publicity around this type of genre. And I think, you know, there's been a hurdle in getting over that, and I think slowly but shortly, the genre's winning. As you see an increase in more downloads, more people are trying to find this type of music. You're seeing it infused in regular mainstream as well, commercials, movies, etc. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I can't say it's going to be the next thing f- for pop culture, but it's definitely um, a growing genre. <laughs>
1: next question. <clears throat>
4: Anthony Polis, I'm with Polis Marketing. And I was wondering, this is a question for all of you guys, do you think that uh, social ad services such as Facebook, social ads, and Twitter's promoted accounts has a, a negative effect on the accuracy of your charts? Have you seen that, or do you think it's even worth
3: thinking about?
0: Um, good question. Definitely. Uh, are you in it?
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, it's... Uh, That's part of where you need to triangulate from lots of different sources, especially on the social side. And um, I, I saw someone was talking online the other day about, like, I thought we'd figured it out with Next Big Sound. You can track all this data that's actually happening. But now I'm finding out that there's services just like there were bots to buy MySpace plays and friends. There's now for lots of different other sources. And as soon as you have any system, that's the push and pull between you want the charts to be transparent of how they're calculated so the industry understands and every artist knows why they're ranked the way they are. And then on the other side, you don't want to display how it's actually calculated because then people try to immediately game uh, the system. And so it should be taken into account from the point of view of if you see uh, one metric spike and see nothing else across the board it shouldn't be able, you shouldn't be able to buy your way to the top of a social chart necessarily and that's why I mean it, it's a tough tough problem.
1: Do you yeah. s- see that as is that merely just something you're going to be having to live with? Do you see a role for the various social network operators for trying oh. to filter that or
2: well, it goes reduce back that? Well yeah, it goes back to some points you made earlier and that is you know what is it like you know you know, if you have 10 million followers on Facebook, what does that mean, ultimately? So, if you're looking at one element, you're looking at it in a vacuum, and that's not going to help you. You have to look at, ultimately, if I have this, this, and this, and this going on, how does that equate, how do you correlate that to success or failure?
3: And I, th- I think the new charts uh, will need to, uh, f- you're not talking about fraud, but like fraud detection is a huge piece of it and this would be one kind of subversion uh, of that where it's wanting to be a fair representation of an artist's popularity yeah. and like Sam was it Sam Adams who bought hundreds of thousands of iTunes tracks and shot himself to the top of the iTunes chart but those were like real purchases but he was making them himself or with his friends credit cards so it's like gets into very blurry territory um, it's the music industry so Yes, Lee? It's
1: yeah.
4: expected. No, I, and I kind of answered it, but, you know, when you have a charting system, people are going to mistake the likes as the destination in, instead of the goal. And on some part of you is well, it sounds like you don't like those. You're creating charts, social charts, and bands are going to say, I want to be at the top of the chart. Oh, how do I get there? I have to have a lot of likes. Mm-hmm. And then they find partners and companies develop software to do that. And in some ways, you want it to be an or- organic, passive collection Popular, you are, you want the likes to be organically derived, ideally.
1: Yeah, we don't want to see click farms, basically. Yeah,
4: yeah. but how do you not do this? And this is again, I, I equate all of this page views, email lists, <coughs> likes as potential uh, communication channels. The real measure is what, is
3: bottom just, line. Well,
4: yeah, how does this how do we get ROI off of this? And I know nobody's got that, but I mean, that's where you're going to see maturity, and, and uh, then it's a long run on, but it's the fact that. That number is private data. Meaning, UMG... Yeah. Is, and if we, yes, you have iTunes charts, but you don't have t-shirt numbers. You have some box office numbers. But you don't have a real... I mean, this is a tough one, and I don't know how to get the maturity of your products
2: to wire up. I mean, you have to take that even further, you spoke about your genre, you know, electronic music. That is that is basically a digital industry. you know, And a lot of charts don't even track all these sales, and fan base, and You know, all these underground, I mean, you know, you talk about some very successful artists, DJs, that people don't even know about. And it's about tracking that in a a way in which you could quantify, as you mentioned, the transparency is an issue because then people are going to start playing the game. And um, ultimately, it's going to come down to, are you making money or not? It's a business.
3: That's where I think the marrying of the billions of public data points with the private proprietary information is the real Win, and that's uh, what we work with our customers on trying to do is understand those relationships. But no one, you know, Amazon the Flight and Diet Coke sponsoring free Wi Fi for everyone, except it clicks you right through to their Diet Coke Facebook page and it doesn't make you like it but you feel like, well, they just bought, I liked it. I don't like Diet Coke. I like real Coke. Um, But you like free Wi-Fi. But I love free Mm -hmm. Wi-Fi. So there I am liking the page, and I blocked it from my news feed as soon as I saw a Diet Coke thing. Um, But I also know for a fact that Coca-Cola is searching, you know, they haven't figured out that, and they've looked at our platform to try and see if, if you're driving traffic. You know, when Audi has a Super Bowl ad driving it to their Facebook page, I guarantee they're not making. They're not seeing what percentage of Facebook likes ultimately translate to car sales or doing any sort of advanced analysis. They want to be, and they should be. Um, but the, the, no. they're trying. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're definitely trying, but it, it's difficult. Right, it no. really
0: is. Yeah. One more. I had uh, something interesting to add. What's interesting okay. to me, what we're seeing is that as MySpace and its influence wanes over time and people still feel pressured to keep those numbers up, to keep their plays high and make sure they have lots of fans, that I would say there's a, even a growing predominance of gaming now as its influence wanes simply because people don't have the fans other en- on the other end to get those numbers up and are finding that those numbers to some people still matter and so they find ways to artificially add 20,000 fans and make sure that they have 30,000 plays on the new single, just in case someone looks, you know, other, you know, the decision makers, not necessarily the fan themselves.
2: From a the marketing or, uh, or an advertising perspective, I, I'm seeing a lot of uh, changes, and that is uh, primarily around the notion of targeting. So if you could say I have 30,000 fans or whatever it may be, that's great. That's wonderful. But what does it ultimately mean, right? We've been talking about that all night, all day, excuse me. But the the notion of maybe I have 1,500 fans that are engaged and they do X, Y, and Z and 90% of them buy these amounts of products on a daily or yearly basis and you know this data and then you can extrapolate that and then grow that, that's really the focus for brands today. And um, mass quantity of followers... I think it's passe. I really don't think. It, 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 you can't quantify. It doesn't work. Most of it is, is, is fake anyway from bots we spoke about. It's about having a small segmented audience. And that's why like a company like Pandora, 95 million subscribers, they're not trying to say, how do we market to 95 million people? Maybe they have 10,000 people like this. And they will go to an advertiser potentially or a marketer and say, I'm going to partner with you because I can give you exactly what you're looking for.
1: Well, I think we are, I've been, we're given the hook right now. And uh, you can chase these guys down out in the hallway there and ask them more questions. But I would ask you all to thank them for taking time out.